One of the first things I was warned about uh, when I was assigned to Butte was to be wary about politics. Be careful when you talk about politics. Uh, and in the kind of inadequate time that I've spent studying the history of this town, uh, I can see why. There's been a tremendous tension and at times violence uh, around kind of political things. And so I enter into this kind of hollowed ground uh, of politics with the utmost respect for that history and with the respect for each one of you and your perspectives. Yet all the same, today's gospel presents us with Jesus' kind of political theory. And it, he, he gives us in a single pithy statement kind of the underlying principle and foundation uh, for relations between the church and the state. So we, I think we must understand this relation, this relationship that we have, because it, it will keep us from falling into so many errors that are so common in society today. I think the gospel today is political, but I hope to draw out kind of how Jesus' politics don't fit into our system. I think Jesus strives today to give us, as Christians, who are citizens of heaven first and citizens of the United States of America after that, um, kind of pilgrims on the earth, but our heart is in heaven. Uh, he gives us a cornerstone of sorts. So first, before we dig into the kind of implications of Jesus' words, I think we need to look at the context uh, that he says them in. So I think there, there was essentially three groups in Israel at the time of Jesus' life. So first, there were the Pharisees, with whom, if you're familiar with the Gospels, Jesus interacts with the Pharisees all the time. Uh, most of the time, it's not a pleasant interaction. It's harsh at times, but uh, Jesus has great reverence for their office uh, because the, the Pharisees are, in, in many ways, they have a deep love for the law, and they want to live the law that God has given Israel uh, to the T. They want to follow every letter of the law, and that's their, the goal of their life. Uh, and, it's, and it's not, the intention isn't bad. They, they want to follow God, and he has given him, them this law. So in many ways, they're kind of the strictest and most conservative group uh, within Israel. And because of this zeal for the law, they hate the Romans. They hate Roman oppression. They want more than anything to be free of that Roman oppression. Uh, and they see as one of the key elements of the Messiah who comes to save Israel, one of the key elements is that he is going to free them from this Roman oppression. So the second group was the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are seen fewer times in scriptures, but they're kind of the aristocracy of Israel. And they're the group who, uh, they don't believe in the resurrection of the body. And so they're, they're more lenient, in a sense. They want the good things of this life. And they're friendlier to the Romans because the Romans can give them the good things of this life. Uh, so if this is the only life, you might as well live it. It's kind of the Sadducees' uh, way of life. Finally, there's the Herodians, who Jesus is interacting with today. And the Herodians are those, who have, uh, those Jews who have thrown in their whole lot with the Romans. So Herodians comes from uh, Herod the Great, who was one of the kings of Israel. So they're the ones, and he's very friendly to Rome. He was given his position by Rome. Uh, and so the Herodians are big fans of the Roman state. And they would be the ones who are 
totally for this tax that Jesus is asked about. Um, they want to assimilate entirely into the Roman culture. Um, so you can imagine, most of the time, these three groups do not like each other at all. They're enemies. Uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Herodians are always getting after each other. But one thing, if there's one thing that can bring enemies together, it's a common enemy. And so that common enemy today is Jesus. So they kind of team up to try to catch Jesus uh, in this trap. So he's presented with this question. Should we pay the census tax to Rome? And so standing in front of him are Pharisees, who if he says that you should pay the census tax, they're going to know for sure that this is not the Messiah because he's not here to free us from Roman oppression. And so he kind of falls into that trap on one side. And if he says it's not okay to pay, pay, pay the census tax, then there's Herodians standing right in front of him who are going to go immediately to the Roman authorities and oust him as a conspirator. And then the Romans will come and kill him. So he's kind of put in this, uh, in this impossible position. How is Jesus going to answer this question? So what does he do? He, he, well, he refuses to fall into this false dichotomy that these men have set up. I think Because what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to put him into kind of a, a knowable political category. They're, they're just asking, where is Jesus on this political scale? Is he in this party? Is he in this party? I think, as we know, fitting Jesus into any sort of box like that is impossible because his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's God. But he doesn't leave us with nothing. He gives us a sort of new political perspective. Um, so first, he takes the coin, and by pointing out the inscription on the coin, he acknowledges a, a legitimate tax. Uh, these, this, in a sense, the Roman state has the power to tax. And by, and by saying this, he's acknowledging the necessity of a civil power. And so in Christianity, we've lived this for the last 2,000 years. Christianity is not a theocracy. We've never strove for a theocracy. Uh, we, we, see, we can see that at its best, the church has always tried uh, to give the civil power its due. Uh, in, at times in history, because of either corruption or because of necessity, the church has taken on a sort of civil power, uh, has ruled with the political arm. But that's always been out of necessity. And the ideal has always been the separation of those powers. Um, and it's worth asking why that's true, because many religions don't believe that. Uh, there are many religions who would, who would love a theocracy as the ideal society. Uh, St. John Chrysostom has a great answer to why the church doesn't do this. Uh, he was one of the early church fathers, and he, he says, why, why must the civil law exist? Because people think more about the present than the future. He's just pointing out a human reality, that, that we, are, we kind of get wrapped up in the things of the world so easily. So if, if you give someone too much power... If you give them both political power and religious power in the same person, they will inevitably become corrupt. And then with that, they will corrupt both the civil and the religious uh, aspects of life. And so we always separate those things for our own good. Um, it's just a necessity while we're in the world. So, uh, so there is a separation, and Jesus acknowledges this. What does it look like? I think that's been the debate since Jesus. And I'm, I don't have an answer for you today, so I'm just going to move on from that one. Uh, but
But we can't leave it here because he doesn't, Jesus gives us more than just a warning against theocracy. You know, like that's an obvious warning, but, but that's not all he gives us. What does he say? He says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. <clears throat> so what is Caesar's? What is the scope of our government? And what honors and allegiance are due to it? I think if you asked 10 Americans that question, you'd get at least 11 answers. Maybe more, depending on how conflicted the person is. But what is God's? What belongs to God? What allegiance is due to our Heavenly Father? I think this, at least for us as Christians, ought to be perfectly clear. Because the whole universe belongs to God. He created us, and we owe everything to Him. So to be a Christian is not to belong to a club, or to belong to a society, or even to be the citizen of a state. To be a Christian is to make a bold statement about the meaning of life. So here we are. Jesus has affirmed the necessity of the civil power, but he's clearly said it in the context of the fact that everything belongs to God. So if everything belongs to God, then everything in our life needs to point us towards God, including the political government, the government in power. So the goal of the government is to promote people of virtue, uh, to bring us closer to God, to prepare us for his heavenly kingdom. So, all right, the fact, the fact that we're kind of Catholic first, Christian first, before anything else, uh, what does this kind of matter in our life? How does it help us to live in society? I think it's incredibly helpful, uh, probably more so today than at least in recent history. Because I think I can say kind of without backlash that, that our society today is very seriously divided. Uh, that every topic is kind of marked out and polarized. Things have become very polarized today. And what I kind of find even more disturbing in this is that the talking points are set up in a way, everything is set up in a way that it, that it wants to divide us. The conversation is set up in order to try and polarize us. It's the same conversation that the Pharisees and the Herodians presented Jesus with. They were trying to push him into one camp or another so that they could kind of pin him down and identify him with something that they recognized. But I think if we, we find things so divided that if we're honest with ourselves as Catholics, uh, we don't fit into either of those camps. If we examine what the church actually teaches and what we actually believe, uh, we, we know that we can't buy wholesale into one or the other because that would be impossible. That would divide our hearts. Um, we just don't fit in that, in that sense. Uh, so do I have an answer to this conflict as to how to act? Not in detail. Um, but I can say that we as Christians need to strive to kind of escape this polarized narrative that, that's presented to us. Uh, we can't continue to let our culture dictate the terms of the conversation uh, on any particular issue. That we in the church, our minds must be formed by Christ, uh, by God alone, and by the teachings of our church. Uh, we can't let our minds be formed by a news station, regardless of the angle of the news station. Uh, so I'm, this, this homily had to be political. Um, and I hope I didn't, haven't offended anyone's uh, sentiments but I do feel that we have to acknowledge the fact that our culture is tending towards post-Christianity. Uh, that we can't just trust 
what's being said to us anymore. And though we are called to be Christians of hope, we're called to be people of infinite hope, we're not called to be naive in that sense. So I don't imagine we're going to change this trajectory anytime soon. Uh, this doesn't mean that we back out of the political battle. I know you as Butte people don't back out of a battle anytime, but especially not a political one. But it's just not in our blood. But it does mean that we need to be prudent and pay attention to the narrative that we're listening to. What, what, is, what is being presented to us? And how are we going to kind of digest that with a Christian heart? Um, who, who's kind of the talking head that's speaking into us? So we identify ourselves as many things. Uh, we can put many labels on ourselves and on those around us. But first, before anything else, are you a disciple of Christ? That's how I consider myself before anything else. And if you are as well, you let that discipleship, before anything else, you let that form your whole person. Um, totally form who you are. Um, including your politics. And so we pray today uh, that, that Christ alone can form us and kind of prepare us to go out and to see with his eyes that we can um, kind of escape these, uh, this polarizing narrative and come to be his disciple and his disciple alone. Amen.